Welcome to From City to the World. I'm your host, Vince Boudreau, the president of the City College of New York. From City to the World is a show about how the work that we're doing at City College matters to people across the city and throughout the world. We'll discuss the practical applications of our research in solving real-world issues like poverty, homelessness, mental health challenges, affordable housing, and disparities in healthcare. So today, I'm going to be looking and talking uh, about housing and architecture in New York City. Um, in the first half of the show, um, we will be welcoming Sean Rickenbacker, who is the brand new director of the J. Max Bond Center of Architecture here at the City College of New York, an associate professor here at CCNY. And he's going to talk to us both about the legacy of Max Bond, the work of his center, and more generally, the way that architecture at City College seeks to engage um, New York City and especially Upper Manhattan. On the second half of the show, Padmore John and April Tyler from Community Board 9 will join the discussion and we'll talk about you know, how these ideas about architecture and the built environment uh, implicate across the Community Board 9 area. And I hope we'll have a, some time to talk about what the role of the college and the community on issues like planning and architecture uh, should be. So, Sean is with me today in the studio. Um, we're proud to announce, as I said earlier, he's been named the director of the J. Max Bond Center for Urban Futures at the City College of New York. Um, and this is a, a center that we have that's focused on research and design in cities. We'll talk a little bit about the work of that center, but it's really one of the the jewels on the City College campus, a center dedicated to work with members of the community on issues of space, architecture, and more broadly what we sometimes call the built environment. I had the honor uh, earlier this spring to be at the corner of 162nd Street and St. Nicholas when 162nd, that block of 162nd Street was renamed uh, J. Max Bond Way in tribute to his contribution and when we when when that s sign was put up the people were able to point you know down the street in one direction to a building he had designed and down the street in another direction then up the street to where he spent most of his last years um, he's really a, a, a remarkable man he's had a, has a career that that left a deep imprint you know both in New York City um, in other cities in the United States but also he's a guy that that traveled the world and, mm -hmm. and, and left an imprint. You know, in some ways, his most famous building, or, or one of the ones he's gotten the, the greatest accolades for, is a regional library in Ghana, the Bolatanga Regional Library. So let me first say, Sean, welcome to the studio. Thank you for, for being here today. And you know, maybe we start by talking a little bit about what uh, J. Max Bond means to you and, and, and what it means to be working in the center named in his honor. Yeah, this is an extraordinary opportunity that I'm, I'm more than pleased to um, to want to accept and be engaged in. Um, I've, I've thought about this for quite some time, and I've uh, was introduced to Max uh, by Karen Phillips, who uh, is also uh, part of the local community and also served as the planning commissioner here in New York City. Uh, and during which time this was probably about uh, maybe 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was at a symposium that Karen put together called um, Working Neighborhoods Failed Policies. And I was uh, just awestruck by Max's presence, his breadth of knowledge, um, and then his, his kind of effortless way of communicating 
very complex ideas about the built environment and how it was affecting people's lives. And um, that stayed with me throughout my career um, and in moving through uh, some academic appointments and private practice um, and being engaged with the City College as well at the School of Architecture, um, this opportunity was presented to me and I, I was really thrilled about the idea of honoring Max and continuing his legacy. Um, and so uh, that's, that's why I'm here. Um, and I will also say that um, very fortunate and pleased to have met you and, and spoken with you about uh, your uh, goals to see the college really embrace the community and, and embrace the challenge of urbanization and, and how do institutions uh, engage the environment and the communities that they are so uh, uniquely tied to. Um, yeah. So that, that, that was really uh, inspiring. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Well, thank you. I mean, in some ways, of course, that's that's the acting out of, of, of Max Bond's vision. He's a guy who, you know, left New York to start a practice in Ghana at a time when the Pan-African movement was strong and he mm -hmm. felt that that's where his service was needed. We were his beneficiaries here at City College when he left Columbia School of Architecture to come to CCNY. Again, I think to be closer to the neighborhood, closer to the people that come from the neighborhood. And and so I think the... the the college's com continuing commitment to the to the Max Bond Center is is a, a nice way both of, of, of living out his legacy, mm -hmm. but also doing what public schools should be doing anyways. Sure. I want to talk a little bit about your career now. Um, um, Sean is published. Uh, he's a published and award-winning designer. He's also an entrepreneur and an educator um, in both spatial design and technology fields. Oftentimes, we think about architects as merely building buildings. And I think one of the things that we're going to hear today in, in our conversation is Professor Rickenbacker's work thinks in profound ways about the relationship between buildings and spaces and technology, which you seek to embed in some buildings, but also, you know, how does a building affect class relations in a community? What, you know, how does it affect race relations? You, 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 you think about it's a term you used earlier, the built environment. Right. And it, you hear architects using the term more and more lately, and it really suggests the way that physical structures can influence all kinds of other structures, mm -hmm. social mm -hmm. structures, political right. structures, economic structures. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I mean, I think it's important to preface that uh, I and, and quite a few other designers uh, are systems thinkers. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when uh, we typically uh, discuss a work of architecture, often uh, whether that be landscape architecture and or a building, they're usually uh, individual projects. And, um, and, and those things have their merits in terms of what they contribute to the built environment, but mm -hmm. ultimately they are also just parts of a larger system. And, and that's truly what I'm most interested in. And the way that technology helps me to understand the broader system uh, is in its ability to kind of parse information and and make connections uh, amongst disparate points of information. So for instance, um, we need to understand how the economy and the motivations of developers affect development, and that development in turn affects communities. Um, and how those communities are affected determines whether those communities thrive uh, or if they struggle. So those are, those are essentially 
um, how I see in many ways how technology is going to be useful uh, going forward for the entire practice and discipline. Uh, and it also uh, encourages and, and, and in many ways uh, necessitates a collaboration uh, amongst other fields. And so um, the Academy in, in, in its previous uh, iterations was known for disciplines operating in silos. Um, and I think architecture could be included in that. Uh, and uh, we've slowly come out of that. And, and quite honestly, I'm looking forward to breaking out of that and really engage the other departments. Uh, we had meetings with you in attendance already with the uh, Department of Engineering, uh, human and, uh, Health and Human Services. And so uh, those are the kinds of uh, alliances. And they also understand uh, their particular disciplines, often through data. Uh, and, and information by which the technology, uh, whether it be through coding uh, or, or parsing through data analysis, allows us to make correlations and, and better understand our environments and who we are as humans. Yeah. I mean, it was striking. We had a meeting yesterday with, with members of the Harlem Chamber of Commerce, mm -hmm. and they uh, um, have been talking with us. It's been a terrific conversation. Uh, Lloyd Williams, the head of the chamber, has been leading this effort within, in conversation with us, but so thinking about uh, a, a, a development plan or a revitalization plan for the 135th Street corridor, he says this better than I do, but beginning from the Schomburg Center, mm -hmm. a building designed by J. Max Bond, incidentally, right. and coming all right. the way to City College, what was striking is, on the one hand, we all knew we had to talk to architects, mm -hmm. but we also knew that we weren't going to be building a lot of buildings in that right, corridor. Right. And, and, and so that leaves open the field of, you know, how does engineering technology interact with mm -hmm. that? What does it mean to make sure everybody on that corridor is connected? And, and, and how do you build that, that environment? Yeah, yeah. Now, certainly the, the, the public realm um, is also uh, vital and essential to how cities operate. And so um, as architects, we not only design buildings, but the public space that uh, fronts those buildings, uh, the public space that uh, many of the developments offer back to the city. Uh, and so 135th Street is uh, one of these historic corridors with a very rich history and a very promising future. Um, and to uh, imagine how accessibility to technology, um, to imagine how the uh, seniors, uh, professionals, young adults, and children all participate and utilize this public space. Mm -hmm. uh, and to make uh, or at least devise of plans that are fully aware of the kind of myriad of participation, whether it be tourists, residents, visitors. Um, uh, Harlem is very well known for a number of events that happen throughout the year. Um, and so, in one sense, simply just communicating the uh, available resources, services, arts programs um, that essentially operate at the public level, at the public realm, which is off the street. And so, uh, there is a, uh, I was just, just at the Harlem Chamber of Commerce um, towards the end of last year, at the end of the year event uh, around the holidays. Uh, and the number of awards that were given, um, forgive me for forgetting the, the local precinct number, but uh, the, the work that they're doing in the community. Um, you have already mentioned that, uh, yes, Max designed the Schomburg Center, but he also designed uh, Strivers Gardens, 
which is a uh, wonderful residential complex at the other end of 135th Street. And they have spaces in there that are made available to the community. Uh, not everyone is aware of those things. The, uh, you know, even as I sit here at the radio station as a resource that's broadcasting and communicating ideas and exchange of information, that's really how I see technology operating in the public realm, um, whether it allows us to understand our behaviors, opportunities, and so forth. Yeah. You know, you, you came to City College. Um, you had spent a year at Cornell University, where you were the Gensler Visiting Professor of Architecture there. And I, I imagine I spent some time up there myself. I imagine it's a different kind of job mm -hmm. to be you know, out in rural Ithaca doing architecture and then to come to New York City, you're, you're a native New Yorker, you have great experience in these neighborhoods, but you know, so much of the architectural work that you do in a place like Harlem needs to balance history and a community sense of ownership mm -hmm. over space mm -hmm. with a new vision of what, what, what's possible in this environment. I remember reading an, uh, uh, a review of the Audubon Biomedical Science and Technology Park, which is one of sure. um, yeah. Max Bond's big projects. Mm -hmm. And of course, you go into the space where Malcolm X was murdered, yeah. and you, on the one hand, have tremendous pressure, and, a, and a, for him, certainly, tremendous interest in preserving that history. Yeah. But then, you've got Columbia University that wants to build the mm -hmm. Biomedical and Technology right. Park. I wonder how you think about the balance between um, history and community ownership and and building something that might be new, especially with your emphasis in technology. Sure, sure. Well, it's, uh, again, the importance of providing the community with some sense of uh, agency in the process, right? Um, I, I think that's absolutely critical. And, and I've been involved uh, with some really great uh, partners, uh, Full Spectrum Development, who did the Kalahari on 116th Street, uh, worked very closely with the Abyssinian Development Corporation uh, on the Renaissance Ballroom. Um, and and my, uh, my takeaway from those experiences uh, is, is very much the fact that uh, the community is really rich with a diverse set of ideas, goals, and expectations that uh, we as professionals uh, that are not uh, immediately on the ground or part of those communities really have to do a better job at listening and understanding how that factors into what might be proposed as the new. Um, and as long as communities feel that they are uh, being recognized and heard and are able to participate in some meaningful way, uh, then I believe they begin to see how those ideas are manifested in the, the um, designs and the proposals that are then being made. With respect to technology, um, Part of my interest in that is, is overcoming, in some regards, the digital divide. Um, so not just providing access, but providing a means of understanding how technology may help and or shape our future lives. Um, so it's really important for me that in the work that we do and in the projects that we try to uh, and are involved in, that um, we let the community know that these types of technologies are available. Uh, we should become accustomed to them. So, for instance, you mentioned health, uh, for instance, and uh, a number of the uh, devices that one can, uh, wearables, as they're called, right. 
to track our health for those that need it. I have a very, very close friend whose daughter uh, had sickle cell. Um, and uh, through constant encouragement of pursuing some of the latest uh, discoveries in terms of that treatment, uh, they were ab actually able to find, uh, actually she uh, received a transplant, a uh, blood transfusion transplant, I believe is what it was. And um, that was fairly groundbreaking at the time. And we researched that primarily online and through journal readings and so forth. So the, the, what's out there in terms of being able to use the technology for discovery and advancement is what's critical. Uh, and so making sure that those tools are available and that digital awareness becomes part of the community's uh, understanding of what their future could mean for them. Mm -hmm. We're discussing um, Max Bond's legacy, but also the work of the center and Professor Rickenbacker's approach to the built environment. Maybe we, maybe this is a good moment to, to talk a little explicitly about the J. Max Bond Center. It's, as I said, one of the real, um, I, I think, assets at CCNY. You're fairly new. You started in the beginning of February, right? Uh, yeah, February okay. 1st, yeah. So <laughs> just a little over a month yes. into the job. Tell us a little bit about your vision for the center, what you think sure. it, it is now and what it should be. Sure. Um, so the, the, the full name is the J. Max Bond Center for Urban Futures. Um, and uh, I think as we uh, have experienced already meeting with a number of community boards and interested parties, uh, everyone is concerned about their future. Um, and with respect to the youth, it's all about their futures and, and uh, opportunities. And so um, we thought that that was an appropriate name, uh, as well as an umbrella that would allow us to uh, fully engage our allied partners and departments and, and professionals um, to assist us in thinking and rethinking about uh, what it means to be urban, what urbanization uh, is as a process, uh, as a full, complete process. Uh, and so really we're, we're formulating the center as a kind of new urban research um, office, if you will, and really looking to capitalize on the immense uh, uh, talent and um, uh, some of the best minds in the, in the various fields here at City. Uh, and certainly, again, uh, as we are a resource to the community, we have a physical space that invites the community in onto the campus to engage these professionals uh, and begin to construct what this new urban practice is as we begin to research, design, and ideally implement uh, the innovations that we think we can uh, certainly put on the table. I don't know that you've had the opportunity yet to kind of figure out who in the community are going to be your big touch points. We've got two um, folks from Community Board 9 coming in, um, but how do you think a university or college like City College should position itself in terms of the relationship between its expertise and community needs? Sure. Um, well, as a think tank, um, and many people are, uh, particularly out in the community, the activists, the politicians, um, citizens, are contemplating the same question. And um, action on the ground moves a lot faster than the kind of luxury of being able to thoroughly uh, research a topic and or an issue. Um, and the rigor by which you conduct that research uh, is, is, a, um, 
is a privilege. Uh, uh, and it has immense value uh, once you're able to mine that new information uh, and provide that knowledge to people so that they can utilize it. Um, I don't know if it's very useful if the innovative uh, findings remain in the academy. I think they need to find their way out into the wild. Uh, and so um, the college, I think, is, is perfectly situated here in New York, uh, across the five boroughs, as well as locally, maybe perhaps even nationally, uh, to begin to disseminate that new knowledge. Uh, um, and as we see the environment uh, changing rapidly, we have environmental concerns, we have health concerns, um, we have economic concerns. These are all societal issues that uh, are folded into that physical fabric that we live in. Um, and so our natural environment included. So these ecologies, as we call them, um, are quite complex and certainly require and benefit from uh, rigorous research. Uh, but again, I think disseminating and engaging the community with that research so that they are carrying similar tools and knowledge to be able to be effective on their own behalf. Yeah. I think sometimes when we think about the environment and climate change, we think about that as something that happens you know, at seashores or up in the mountains or in the tropics. Sure. And you know, the cities are places that don't really have an ecology, mm -hmm. they're just where everything else is. But you mentioned urban sustainability and it's something we're hearing more and more about. And I wonder you know, how in your work you thought about the challenges of climate change in relationship to you know, local urbanization, global mm -hmm. urbanization. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll, I'll make a, a, a distinction um, so a number of years ago, uh, certainly urban sustainability was a kind of topic and, and, and area of research. And that has slowly sort of transformed into urban resiliency. Because um, much like the environment, uh, the environment doesn't really sustain itself. It, it sort of evolves, and in part because of the things that man has produced and created. And those things are interacting with the environment, and thus we have these changes. So some of them occur uh, quickly, others take a very, very long time to manifest and become recognizable to us. Uh, and so the, the issue of resilience is how quickly can we respond to the environment that we live in once we are aware of what's taking place. Um, and certainly um, Sandy was a, uh, a, perhaps a wake-up call. And there were some policies and uh, kind of ways of doing business and constructing things in the world of architecture that had to be really reconsidered. Um, and so um, the practice of, of uh, urban thinking, architecture and design, um, uh, I think has, has really stepped up to uh, respond to these things and uh, perhaps with the immense amount of data and information that we're able to collect from these events, uh, we can then make those correlations to what changes could uh, happen in the built environment that could help us produce a more resilient environment that we now reside in. We are talking with Professor Sean Rickenbacker um, at, from City to the World. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back real soon. Please stay tuned. We're 
really lucky today to be joined in the second half of the program by uh, Padmore John and April Tyler, both of whom are members of Community Board 9, our local community board here um, near City College, both of whom have worked to bring to life a vision of, of what this neighborhood should look like. Um, April has lived in West Harlem for 30 years, and by my count, you spend the first five years not being a housing activist and the last 25 being a housing activist. Very kind uh, of you. Well, no, I, listen, I think uh, someone who's put in those years on this cause deserves the community's thanks, so let me give it to you. Thank you. Padmore John is, uh, uh, is also a member of Community Board 9. He was chair of the health committee from 2013 to 2015. Um, he's the owner of Cyan Cafe, which is an Ethiopian restaurant, a really good Ethiopian restaurant. Um, we've had some of our events there, and I um, have enjoyed what your kitchen puts out on the table. Thank you. Um, he's lived in Harlem since 1989 and currently lives in West Harlem with your wife and two children. Yeah. Um, maybe, Pradmar, I'll start with you. Um, you have a vision for what this neighborhood should look like. And, and one of the things we've been talking about is, you know, from the community perspective, what's the role of the college in that vision? And, and specifically, we have an architectural outreach center, the J. Max Bond Center. What's the role of those sorts of resources and how you think about things? Yeah, sure. Thank you. And um, congratulations to you as well for becoming the recently president. Oh, thank you. Um, that, that and I have, I've been speaking to a few different members of your team in certain different capacities, and I think the resounding theme that has been coming back is the president has said there needs to be great interaction with the community. Absolutely, and true. we appreciate that, and I think that kind of speaks to a lot of what 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 we are looking to do here. Um, ultimately, you know, we the, as as it said, the community board is like that local government, the most basic form of government that is underground and we have a con um, ongoing conversation communication uh, with the with the community understanding some of their the challenges some of the issues that they're facing and some of the ways that they're looking to bring in um, um, solutions to some of their problems um, there is a limit to what the community can do and I think this is kind of where City College can come in and one of the things I have been speaking to all the chairs um, and as well as, you know, other members of the board is what is it, um, what is the greatest talent and, and the greatest resource that City College has and that's its minds. Um, believe the, you know, the professors, uh, the, um, the school itself, from the, even the students are wonderful, intelligent, have a great deal of, um, of knowledge about a variety of issues, and we need to tap into that into that brain thrust, literally. And so being able to have, on one end, some of the very day-to-day -day basic understanding of what's happening in a regular, um, regular institution going on in the community, and then being able to tap into the brain thrust that is City College, that's, that's really where we see how City College providing us um, some assistance. So two things, for example. Um, and you know, I'll ask April to speak to a little bit more about this. But you know, we have we're dealing with um, a situation where a theater that has been around for quite some time, very old theater, RKO Hamilton Theater on 146 and Broadway, and um, we there has been a lot of talk about potentially different things that are coming into the theater by the developer. And we wanted to ensure that the community had a role in what's going to be happening there. So April and her team, as part of the housing committee, and two other communities came together as well. 
land use and, and arts and culture. They came together to be able to rally, literally rally the, co the community around what do we want to see in there, what needs to be done, what ideas do you have. And, you know, Sean was good enough to be able to come by. And but not only did he come by and, you know, given his input as a member of the community, but he stood up and said, hey, how can I, how can City College be part of this this, 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 this whole debate in terms of ensuring that the, com the community's input is, is, is addressed. Obviously, we is a developer, so we have to um, um, acknowledge his presence and what are some of his needs. But how can, and then how can um, City College kind of be that bridge? Um, being able to know that there's a history to the space, a history that was done, and ensuring that we're building something that can be utilized greatly within in the future. And I think that's a great opportunity that we have. And there's a lot more, having spoken to Sean briefly on a couple of occasions, about what, what more we can do. So looking forward to it. Yeah. Now I'll ask April to speak a little bit more about the um, issue. Around Before April does speak, I want to make sure everybody knows who we're talking to. April sure. is um, the, the, she's been on Community Board 9 for four years. Uh, she's the co-chair of the Housing, Land Use, and Zoning Committee. And you know Harlem is a place that has a fair number of pretty high density of low to moderate income cooperatives that exist in Harlem. The highest number in the city. The highest number in the city. And April has been uh, pivotal over the course of her housing advocacy in organizing, creating the highest number of these cooperatives in the city in her neighborhood. April. Um, before I talk about the Hamilton Theater, uh, Padmore and um, Professor Riggenbacher was t talking earlier about the College Brain Trust, but I would like to talk a little bit about the Community Brain Trust because there is also a wealth, oops, a wealth of um, of knowledge, information, history in the community, and very often when people come into the community, either with new developments, new ideas. Um, research projects, they ignore that. And I think that one of the most important things that can happen is that synergy between the college and the community because the brain trust of the community and the brain trust of the college, and they have to work together. But as far as the um, RKO theater goes, uh, we had more than 100 people come out to a rally at City College. And um, we broke up into groups and people gave us their ideas, everything from artist housing, senior housing, um, a mixture between uh, low, moderate market rate condominiums or co-ops and a multi-faceted art center and retail businesses and one of the a couple of the the main issues that came forward was that the community wants local locally based businesses locally based organizations to be housed in that space and also housing for the community because in addition to the theater the black box and the the theater lobby in the on the Broadway side they the um, Ashkenazi organization also owns a lot a vacant lot on 147th Street so we actually envisioned the two of them together and a project that uh, that would that would encompass all of that and um, just the like the importance of the architecture we are 
interested in preserving not just according to what the landmark says, but actually completely restoring the structure of the, at, at least the exterior structure of the project. And also um, whatever new development is created along the uh, 147th Street side, we one of the important things that Community Board 9 has always emphasized is contextual development. We, um, you know, we would really abhor a glass box rising there, something that would be in, in context with what is already existing, even if it's a little bigger than what uh, the um, five, six-story buildings that exist in the neighborhood, because the, the zoning actually does allow for a larger building. But um, we, as community board, and Padmore and I were speaking a little bit earlier, that one of the one of the reasons that Community Board 9, West Harlem, and Hamilton Heights was rated the number one neighborhood to watch by real estate people in 2018 is because we have been so um, gung-ho and adamant about preservation, where in other neighborhoods when landlords abandoned their buildings and when um, the city started withdrawing resources, People, um, the powers that be said, knock them down. Like, we don't want eyesore buildings. And we said, no, leave them be, and when we can, we will repair them. And that's why we have a such an historic and beautiful neighborhood um, today, is because we, we were adamant about preservation and remain adamant about preservation. Sean? You were at that meeting, and, 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 and so I suspect over the course of your career you've been at a number of similar sort of community meetings to talk about development. Did it feel like a run-of-the-mill meeting, or was there something different when the people of Harlem who have this, you know, as April was saying, this intense interest in preservation and mm -hmm. such a keen sense of the history of the place come together to talk about yeah. development? No, well, Community Board 9 is no newcomer to the, to yeah, the game true. here. Um, <laughs> I, I um, my first impressions uh, in attending most of these meetings is just really to listen. Um, and as April mentioned, the there's quite a wealth of knowledge sitting in the room, um, and being able to harness that knowledge before you speak, I think, is really important. So, mm -hmm. I, I think, quite honestly, I, I three quarters of the the session I was quiet, just absorbing mm -hmm. uh, and figuring out where I could be useful uh, in that capacity, but really to learn and, and make sure that it's understood that the work that's being done on the ground uh, just simply needs to be augmented in some instances. Mm -hmm. right? it doesn't, it's, not, it's nothing entirely new and or innovative that would uh, redirect the efforts that have already taken place. It's just really about augmentation. Um, and some of that has to do with the data, some of that has to do with understanding the economics, uh, the social and cultural implications. Uh, and it's the exchange of that information between the interested parties that usually, in my experience, renders the best results. Um, and and uh, it certainly doesn't hurt when you have uh, people, again, who have the opportunity and the resource to sort of drill a little bit deeper uh, so that they could either um, um, show evidence that the information is corresponding to what's happening on the ground. Uh, we see 
uh, future movement in some of these things? So how do we get out in front of issues, right, uh, as opposed to be reactionary? So, um, so that, that was an extraordinary meeting, one of my first uh, wearing the hat of, uh, of the director of the Bond Center. Uh, and so I was, I was happy to see that th these communities are, are well positioned to look after themselves. Um, so there's there's no no real urgency there in terms of uh, responding to that. Uh, again, it's for me it's just about augmentation, yeah. enhancing what they're already doing. So my producer Angela has just handed me the note that says I get to ask the last question. So I'll ask the big question as far as I think the community board and it, it might be concerned. You know, you build something new or you refurbish something that's existed, and there's always the chance. Um, that you you drive people out, and and you know the, the G word right gentrification. We're all in one way or another talking about trying to figure out how to split the difference between taking properties that could be more beautiful or more useful or more expansive, and making them that way without disrupting the social fabric of the neighborhood. And this is a neighborhood that's demographically changing very very rapidly. And I wonder how you, how you think about that. April, can, maybe we can start with you. Well, the fact that um, Community Board 9 has the highest number of um, affordable co-ops is a guard in some ways against gentrification because people own their properties. And one of the, one of the primary missions of my life right now is preserving those buildings because um, the people who are most at risk are people who are in rental properties and rent stabilized properties. We're losing, you know, tens of thousands of rent stabilized properties, rent stabilized apartments throughout the city each year. And um, we as a, as a community board have um you know we respond to that but i think the um the guard against gentrification are the hdfc's the housing development fund corporations and shoring those buildings up getting out of, getting ahead of the buildings when they have problems and assisting them before they're lost is what's really important to us and i think a guard um you know there's always change there's always a a flow and you know we welcome newcomers but um we've got to you know the yeah there's got to be a balance struck between the old and, and the old and the new and i think that one of the major ones here is the hdfc's mm -hmm. yeah um i think it's, it's it's multiple um planes that you have to do, do with that one of them is you know there's a decent amount of home ownership in in harlem um by folks who have been here for 10 20 30 years um, one of the things is their their property values are going up, and then the taxes are going up, and they can't afford the taxes. So, are there abatements that can be placed on these on these folks who have been living in these communities for 10, 20 years to make sure that the taxes are not going up, or it's prohibitive for them to be living there anymore? Um, how is it that for certain developers, there are many developers that are coming in, um, and there are a few good ones that are coming in and coming in to speak to the board before they actually put a shovel in the ground. So they're saying, what is it that is best for the community, right? And when in that way, it's a holistic way of coming in. You're not just being predatory in any way, one, to get people out, and two, to put in a certain type of um, 
um, housing, but you're kind of catering to a variety of folks up and down the, the um, socioeconomic ladder, as well as broad across so that it's, it's you're not just giving housing, you're giving workforce development, right. you're providing um, a cultural space to kind of keep a, some sort of grounding for people who have been here 20, 30 years. Uh, so I think it's very important that there's just, and that comes from respect. When you're coming into a neighborhood, you come in with respect and you say, I want to build here, but who are the people that have been here? How can I speak to them? How can I be, understand where they're coming from? And how can I cater or, or be able to bring in, not to be destructive, but to be constructive, what is already there? And I think once we have that, and sometimes the leadership from institutions like City College that helps that, sometimes leadership from elected, uh, elected leaders is from the, the community getting a whole bunch of pens and making a lot of noise, hey, don't do this here. But it needs to be recognized by the developers and the powers that be that there's a amount of respect to come into, into a community and to have that a decent conversation with those that are there ready to make it best for those who are going to be coming in and those who wish to stay. Sean, you want to take us home? Well, I think Padmore did an excellent job. I, I mean, just thinking about the word respect. I mean, yeah. if we respect the process, if we, if we respect each other, uh, human lives, the environment, uh, I think we would do an excellent job at, at what we have ahead of us. And, um, you know, people's futures uh, very much might just be dependent upon that respect. Yeah. So uh, I think that's a really good way to perhaps end this. Yeah. Thank you. I want to first off thank my guest, uh, Professor Sean Rickenbacker, the new Director of the Max Bond Center at City College, um, Padmore John, a member of Community Board 9, and the owner of a very nice Ethiopian restaurant in the neighborhood, April Tyler, also a member of Community Board 9, and uh, she's currently actually um, at Columbia University as a university community scholar studying housing development fund corporation cooperatives, um, carrying on what has been um, almost lifelong work with her in the neighborhood. Thank you for listening to From City to the World. The show is produced by Angela Harden. She's the one that tells me to ask the last question and wrap it up. I'm your host, Vince Boudreau, the president of City College of New York. Hope you enjoy the rest of the day, and I hope you tune in next month for the next edition of From City to the World. 